Hi, my name is Andy Day. I'm the founder and CEO of Capital A, and welcome to MA QA. This week we've got a really good treat for you. It's Perry M. Anderson, as he's known. Looks like an international man of mystery, but is actually a private equity CEO. His firm is called Quadra Global Capital Corp, and the business is nearly 20 years old. Perry's extremely experienced in M&A and private equity and finance. So we're going to go through a few questions today. Uh, find out a little bit about what he does and also open the floor up to everybody a bit later on so you can ask him questions that relates to what we're discussing, which is agencies specifically. Perry's also interested in agencies, digital agencies in particular, and I think we'll go into detail about that a bit later on as well, also discussing uh, the virtual roll-up, which I think is the deal that he's looking to do as well. So Perry, hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I am doing well, sir. Nice to meet you and nice to meet everybody. So I'm not sure about international man of mystery. I'm not very mysterious. So it's... Uh... <laughs> well, your photographs look much more uh, sort of a secret agent than my Steve Jobs lookalike. That maybe oh, no, I, I may no. <laughs> uh, Good to have you here. So everybody here pretty much is an agency owner. And if not, they've sold one recently. We're all looking to do deals and build groups of agencies or bolt-on businesses onto the current businesses that we are running. We've spoke to a few different people now and uh, we've got a few booked in over the, the next few weeks around, you know, sort of different expertise around M&A. But I think you're the only person that we have lined up in regards to private equity at the moment. So I think everybody would be super eager to speak to you. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got into private equity? I know it, almost you've got a, a unique story yourself with how you built your own kind of empire, private equity empire, which is really interesting and really sort of liberating for the independent-minded amongst us. Yeah, yeah, sure, happy to. So thanks, uh, thanks for the intro. Um, yeah, so you know, I guess first of all, I'm always on these calls, and I'm I'm the guy with the funny accent. I always feel like the outcast. So I'm. Uh, to mention, I'm uh, yeah, you're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, yeah, so I'm I'm Canadian, Canadian by trade, and I'm from Vancouver. So I live kind of half my time in Vancouver, and the other half I got a home here in, in central London, which is where I'm relaxing and enjoying COVID from these days. So um, yeah, I guess my, my background is a little bit, uh, perhaps a little bit unique. I've actually never had a job before. And my life is, uh, you know, conventionally, I was kind of told to kind of go to school. And then all of a sudden, when you finish school, you know, miraculously, you know, life is just going to somehow take care of you. And so I kind of bucked that trend. I, I did go to school, I spent a lot of time there. And I wanted to go to school for commerce, um, went to school and few different countries and came out with an MBA from Oxford. And I kind of thought, well, hey, now life is just going to take care of me. And it turns it, it did not. I, I wanted to learn how to make money. And uh, all it did was uh, it brought me out of school with a bunch of debt. And so I took some time to kind of go down the entrepreneurial route. And I started a, a small little contracting business that did kind of painting and um, drywalling when I was uh, when I was super young. And, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to try this for summer. And so this kind of um, started a snowball and ended up having a couple of crews and, you know, that was kind of going. And it was the first time in my life that I ever sort of made a couple of dollars. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try this for the rest of the year. And if it doesn't work, I'm just going to go back and join the herd of cattle and just go and, and, and get a job. And so fortunately, I, I didn't have to go back. And so I, I ended up kind of parlaying the, the few dollars that I was making into, um, into acquiring my first business. 
at 24. So I bought my first business at a fairly young age and sort of cobbled together a few dollars, went to a bank and kind of did a, a transaction, which was the completely wrong way to do it. But uh, you, you live and learn. And so I kind of parlayed that into buying a few more um, restaurants and then juice bars. And I started buying real estate and a few other things. And I sort of had this little, you know, going concern in my kind of sort of mid to late 20s. And I was kind of debating about, you know, what's next. I always sort of wanted to get back into finance, but I wanted to do it with a bit of an entrepreneurial spin as opposed to just going to a job. So I, I ended up founding what is today called Quadra Capital. So we're a, we're a relatively small boutique private equity firm. And so um, I guess today we've, uh, I've completed over 30 investments into a pretty diverse range of sectors. So as I mentioned, kind of from restaurant, retail, to travel, to manufacturing, to um, bought a media company in London, security, uh, a whole slew of things. We've taken three companies public, uh, two via RTO and one via IPO. And we've raised quite a bit of money through the capital markets uh, as well. So got a, uh, that kind of underpins what we've kind of are doing. And so small team at Quadra. So there's kind of 11 of us. Everybody comes from fairly blue chip backgrounds. Everybody's worked from sort of Goldman Sachs to Rothschild, Carlyle Group, PwC, et cetera. But um, we're all sort of, we don't see ourselves as kind of, you know, sort of the stodgy banker types, we really see ourselves more as, you know, entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. I think probably um, what I maybe have to share with you or talk about is is, is a lot more um, entrepreneurial than it is kind of corporate because, uh, you know, I don't really feel that I have a corporate bent to me. I'm just a guy that's out trying to solve problems of, of, you know, how as an entrepreneur do you sort of, you know, maximize your exit at the end of the day? And so that, yeah, that's, that's kind of... Um, I guess how Quadra started, and I guess I kind of do three things. So one is, um, obviously, we're working on our own transactions. Quite interested in the in the digital agency space. Actually, just before Christmas, I signed a, a share purchase agreement to buy a, a twenty man digital agency in the UK. And then about three weeks ago, we actually um, we've actually merged another forty man digital agency, and we're we're doing a little bit of a roll up in the digital space. So I'm quite keen to be on this. Um, this chat that's relative to kind of digital agencies. So, so we're kind of you know actively out doing deals or working on transactions. The second thing that we do is we also partner up with entrepreneurs. So you know organic growth is kind of slow and painful, as I'm assuming you guys as agency owners have probably found out going from client to client, and it's a it's a slow trajectory to growth. So what we do is we actually partner up and we we, we JV with entrepreneurs that want to build their business through sort of a series of accretive acquisitions, and that's a much faster way to grow a business. So basically, we would help them to, um, you know, we do all the analysis, all the structuring, we'll go out and raise all the capital required for you to close on a transaction. And then, you know, obviously, we want to share in the upside of a deal with with people. So we kind of do that as the second leg of the stool, and then kind of the third and smaller leg of the stool. And, and this is kind of how Andy and I have been getting to know each other is, um, uh, I've, I've sort of been lecturing on the topic of sort of SME, M&A, and how to kind of do deals typically without using any of your own capital and how to go out and access the, the, the private capital markets and to be able to kind of raise all the money you need to be able to transact. And so uh, I run little, you know, run workshops kind of on a, on a smaller monthly basis just for people that want to understand how to kind of, um, you know, grow their own business or go out and do deals, you know, without typically using, having to use any of your capital. So I've done that for the past couple of years and um, that's been a lot of fun as well. So, uh, so yeah, those are the kind of the three legs to my stool. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, can you just go into a little bit more detail about what private equity is? Because I suppose all of us here are very much creative from the creative industries and not particularly sort of finance minded. 
So what's the difference between private equity and coming to a business like Quadra Capital with a deal versus maybe going to a bank and borrowing money? Yeah. So like I said, I, I've never had a job, so I don't know that I'm properly able to comment on what is real <laughs> private equity. I mean, we, we really, um, you know, from our vantage point, I mean, things only work when it's it's win-win scenarios. We, we try to create win-win scenarios. We're not predatory or looking to take advantage of, of anything like that. And I, I think if you as a business owner were to go to a bank, a conventional high street bank, let's say you wanted to buy your competitor across the street or somebody in your supply chain, the banker would say, you know, Okay, interesting. Um, how much cash are you going to put up? You know, put up you know thir- circa thirty percent of your own capital. You know, give us your home as collateral. Uh, you know, give us a pint of blood and give us uh, a bunch of personal guarantees, and and then we'll think about you know lending you some money for that. And so that that's you know we kind of view conventional banking as as that to us is predatory and that's non entrepreneurial. You know, banks aren't in the uh, space of lending. Banks are in the space of, you know, if they take three times the security from you, they'll give you back maybe, you know, one pound worth of, uh, for every three of security that you give them. So, so we, we don't use banks and we kind of, if, you know, we show people how not to use banks and, uh, there's a huge secondary market of alternative finance out there that don't take the same view that a bank would. They're not interested for you know in you putting up your house and, and and pledging all of your personal assets to be able to do deals and there's and I've kind of learned this just from error so uh, it's been total trial and error I, I've had you know kind of a couple of successes but I've also had a lot of failure in my career and so a lot of the stuff that I've learned over the past couple of decades has just been from uh, really out of necessity and just trying to figure out a smarter way to do it so so what's what is real private equity you know we're really just out looking to do deals whether that means we're uh, fully acquiring a business whether it means we're taking a minority stake in a business whether we're doing a, a roll-up whether we're doing mergers you know I'm of the viewpoint and I guess I've learned this from I guess my own career and experience to date that you know there's there's no sort of dignity in, in, in running a business. That's really hard and it's, uh, it's painful. The dignity comes when you've sold your business and you're telling your buddies at a bar that you just sold it for you know, a whole ton of money. And so, um, so it's, you know, life to me, I guess, is, is and maybe this is more philosophical, but it's you know, go through life and instead of building something over 30 years and hopefully you're, hopefully you're going to have some massive exit at the end, which is never promised or guaranteed. I think if you go through life having a, a series of capital events, that makes your life a lot easier to live. You're not eating beans out of a, a can for 30 years, hoping that something's going to happen. And so um, we, we kind of work with people to kind of, you know, find win-win scenarios and, and to collaborate to just to get to get exits to happen. So that exits are what we do as opposed to private equity. <laughs> Brilliant, Perry. Uh, that's a really great answer. And um, I, I think because of your approach as well, you've kind of ended up being as much a, an M&A expert as anything else as well. So I'd like to ask you a few questions about how you do M&A and what your approach to it is. So one thing I say is that M&A is kind of a numbers game, isn't it? So you've got, got to get a lot of deals in front of you in order to, to at least even get one because so many deals do end up falling over it right at the, the last hurdle. So it's important to, to get that sort of numbers thing going. How do you sort of work with deal flow and, and um, you know, being introduced to deals? How do you get yourself out there and get a reputation so that you're able to bring in enough deals to be able to close something? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I don't think there's a hard answer for that. I mean, I've, I've kind of been at this for a long time. And so, you know, deal flow is obviously the lifeblood of, you know, of, of doing deals because there's a lot of attrition. There's a lot of... Um, it's funny, you know, people always think, you know, 
where do I get the money? The, the money actually is, 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 is relatively mechanical. If you've got a good deal, you're holding the, the pot of gold. It's relatively easy to get a good deal financed. The challenge that I think we have is that you know you put out an offer that's sensible and fair, and a lot of times the seller says, "Yeah, yeah, you know, make me an offer." And you make them an offer, you give them you know a decent offer, and they just say, "Oh, thanks," and they, "Well, yeah, it's not really the right time to to be able to sell right now," and they just walk away, and that's what actually collapses probably most of the deals that uh, we work on. You have to have a pretty big uh, pipeline of, of deal flow. Um, I've been at this a long time, so we've got introducers and biz dev guys that are kind of helping us out to kind of source things and bring it. So I don't think that's really relevant. Um, but I think for you know for people starting out, you know, I, I got a lot of different suggestions. But I think you know one of them uh, that I would maybe look to is immediately is if if you have a business, I would look to your your debtors and your creditors. So you know who are the who are the fast paying people who always pays on time your invoices when you invoice one out, you send it out they they immediately send you back payment. Who does that? Well, that's somebody that I would approach if you're looking to sell your business. That's somebody obviously you're in partnership with. That's somebody who's obviously knows your business. They're paying you fast, meaning that they're a solvent company. If you're looking to sell, it's probably advantageous for them to buy up the supply chain. And if they're if they're paying you fast, that becomes an interesting place to look if you're looking to sell. Now, conversely, if you're looking to actually buy, one place you could look is the inverse. So, you know, who is a slow payer? Who's always struggling to pay and who's always, you know, coming back, hey, in two weeks, in two weeks? That to me is somebody who's motivated. That's probably somebody who's has a little bit of perhaps stress. And so if you go to them and it's not about we will just buy you out. It's more about how can we figure out a way to to get to a win win, and how can we you know sort of do something that works for both parties, i.e. you know relieves them of the pressure maybe that they're having, and and obviously you know from your viewpoint you can go out and and acquire some or all of their business. And there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, but uh, that would be two ways that you know one thing that I would look is one simple strategy is look look to your payers who's paying slow and fast, and those are people that you could go do and deals, you know, go do deals with. Yeah, brilliant. I, I say something similar myself, actually. I think I, I mentioned it last week about the bad payers is actually quite often within your own network, you can find people complaining about bad payers. And that, that means these guys are probably more likely to sell. You talked a little bit about alternative finance. And like I said, at the top, we, we are not finance people here. So the more you can tell us about these sorts of alternative finance sources, I think the more interesting it is that's kind of the part of the end of the rainbow that everybody wants to know about. And it's, I don't think there is really a, a simple sort of one answer approach to the answer, is there? But I'd be interested to get your take where a private equity company would be looking to hook up finance for deals that you're putting together. Obviously, we've established it wouldn't be a bank. So where would these guys network to put the deal together with the funding, to, to get the funding? Yeah, so you know we're living in a very interesting time right now. So um, in, in fact, kind of the stars have sort of aligned for people that are out looking to do deals right now. And there's probably never been sort of a perfect storm uh, like there is right now. So you know, on one hand, um, all of the baby boomers are retiring at the same time right now. So you've got the biggest transfer of wealth going on in the history of the world. So 
all these businesses are just, you know, the family businesses are, are coming to market in, in rapid succession. Uh, if they go to a business broker, business brokers only sell like one in every 12 of their listings. So that, that's not a good alternative, but the, the world is, is awash with these businesses coming to market. So that, that's one side of the ledger. The other side of the ledger is the capital. So there is, there is record amounts of, of capital that has been sitting on the sidelines waiting to be deployed. And so, you know, if you're kind of on one, you know, from, from, from our, you know, our collective viewpoint, we could, we could look at something and we could say, well, where can we, you know, where we possibly get the money for this? I mean, we watch BBC and CNN and we hear the sky is falling and, and times are terrible. And, and you'd think, you know, there is no money, but actually it's the inverse. So the, the other world that, you know, I, I sort of, we sort of live in is we work with a lot of groups that they have, there's too much capital and they don't have enough homes for it. They just can't find the deal flow and that's their biggest problem. And so um, there is a huge non-bank secondary market of this. It's, it's sort of the alternative finance market. Um, these companies will lend and fund sort of, you know, upwards of a hundred percent of a, of a, you know, of a transaction. And there's a lot of ways that they, you know, they would attach the funding onto something. Um, so unlike a bank who's looking at you personally, like if you go to a high street bank, it's all about, you know, who are you, Andy? And, you know, show us how much money you have in your account and what's your credit worthiness and all that. But, you know, alternative funders don't look at you per se. They're looking at your, at the target asset. Who's the target that you're trying to buy? That's what they're looking at. It's less about you and it's more about what are you trying to buy? And if the company's the diligence stacks up and the company's, you know, assuming all things considered equal, it's profitable and it's been, you know, has a long operating history and it makes some sense, uh, you know, they would hook the financing onto the target company. So it's really the target company that's important. And that's what they're that's what they're funding against. And so it's a very different um methodology and it's a very different way of looking at things but but this is a it's you know the rates are slightly more expensive than a conventional bank but you know it's it's money that's that's easy to acquire and where you don't have to put down any of your own capital typically and you know you're not typically having to put up you're not you're not having to put up your you know, pledge your house or give away your kids as uh, as collateral so it's um it, it's a much more efficient and and you know kind of much more forgiving way of uh, of raising finance as opposed to going to a to a bank. So that kind of really influences what type of deals we should be going out looking for them, I guess, because obviously if you're looking at distressed companies at the moment and these guys are looking for maybe more solid businesses that they can offer finance to in whatever shape. How does that work and what kind of deal are they looking to get into and how would it be structured? Just, I mean, obviously there's all sorts of levels of detail you can go into, but just very briefly, what would a sort of a, a very general deal look like with alternative finance and somebody making an offer to an agency, for instance, that they were looking to acquire? Yeah, you know, deals are snowflakes and they're, everyone is sort of slightly different. There's not sort of a, a hard template for everything. So um, obviously, if a company is, is distressed, you know, that's one way of going and doing deals, um, you're not going to put more debt onto a company that can't pay their debt. So uh, if you go down that path, it's about um, figuring out a structure that's going to, you know, work for both parties and kind of show people how to do that if they're so inclined. But, you know, the other one is, is obviously if you're going after profitable businesses. So, um, you know, somebody that's in your supply chain, or if it's a direct competitor of yours, uh, th there's numerous things um, that the company would have on their balance sheet. You know, do they have 
and, and the more robust the target that you're looking at, the more robust their balance sheet, the easier it is to finance. So if they've got, you know, assets and they've got, you know, equipment and inventory and, you know, trucks and vehicles and machinery and what have you, um, that becomes very easy to, to finance. Uh, you know, also if they have, maybe they're light on assets, you know, talk about a, um, a digital agency. So not a lot of trucks and, and, and heavy equipment inside an agency, but what they, a lot of them typically do have is they have a really strong, um, a really strong debtor book and really strong receivables. So there's a lot of ways to hook financing onto the target co's debtor book. So if they've got, you know, Let's say they've got all their contracts or on one-year rolling contracts with, you know, relatively, I don't know, larger businesses. Um, that becomes relatively easy to to raise finance against. So you, so you can raise the money from that to be able to use to to form the um, the financing for your your acquisition. And so um, it really just depends on what the um, what's on the balance sheet, but it does, whatever is on the balance sheet is is typically lever- You know, it's able to be leveraged. And I guess the couple of touch points I would look for companies that are uh, have have low debt levels. That's important because you would be layering financing onto the company that you're buying. So the company obviously has to pay the debt. So you want to look for a company that doesn't have a lot of debt. And you also want to look for companies that have you know fairly long operating histories. So they've got to have a minimum of sort of two years operating history and uh, you know the longer the better but um you know the more of a track record they have and the more certainty around kind of profitability i think the the, the you know the, the more interesting that is to a uh you know to to an end financier okay brilliant yeah i think that's the sort of information that people are really looking to sort of dig into so i'd like to also know perry because i've seen this somewhere actually i think is one of the reasons why we first got in in touch you were looking at this virtual roll-up concept and I think most people here, I mean, one one or two of us want to buy like one agency and maybe bolt it on, but I think the majority are looking to kind of build further than that. And so this concept of a roll-up is certainly something that we're going to go into more detail over the weeks. But you have this kind of uh, sort of added layer of interesting sort of approach to how you structure these potential roll-ups by using this sort of virtual roll-up idea. And also, we, we've got somebody actually just joined at the last minute who is a, an owner of a digital business. So he may well be even more interested. So if you just tell us a little bit more again about what you're looking for in your digital businesses that that you're looking to do this roll-up and also just go into a little bit more detail what this virtual roll-up concept is and why it differs from a normal roll-up. Sure. So yeah, the, the thinking about behind this roll-up is is quite unconventional, like kind of everything that we <laughs> we do. So um, so I, I think it, it falls under the the, the premise that you know, it's all about maximizing an exit. So if you if you own a digital agency, you want to obviously get the best exit that you can at some point in time. And so how how do you do that? So the way that we sort of view the world is as a small business owner going to market to try to sell your business, you're going to bump up against a couple of challenges. So number one, you're going to have a very limited buyer pool. There's very few people that will be able to acquire you just because you're small. You'll never sell to big private equity because big private equity can't make the economics work. You're just too small of, of a company. And so um, that poses a problem, very few buyers. And, th- and that is the state of the world right now. Can you give uh, us a little bit more detail on what you would consider small? Because uh, obviously when you get into millions, your your mum is happy. Your mum is really proud of you for getting up to a few million but but in actual in the world of business even a 10 million pound business is still quite small so what would you say is a a small business 
There's yeah, it's more for private equity or, or the other sorts of finance. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, that, that's important. So thanks for flagging that. Yeah, so I, I would, you know, I don't think there's a hard line in this, but I'd say I, I kind of unless you're sort of getting somewhere near sort of 20 million in kind of turnover, you're never going to attract sort of a, a larger trade buyer or, or PE firm that, that's going to, you know, com, you won't command a big multiple. So, um, and most companies never get to that point. You know, they're doing one, two, three, five, you know, million kind of of turnover, which obviously is a nice business, but it just, it's not going to be sold for a, a huge multiple to a big buyer. So that, that's problem number one that you're going to have is you're going to have a very limited buyer pool. Number two, you're going to be constrained by the multiple that you're going to get for your business. So you can have a, you know, you can have a banner year next year and a banner year, you know, hitting out of the park the year after, but you're still going to have a relatively small multiple for your business, you know, somewhere plus or minus kind of three to four times EBITDA is kind of what these small businesses are sort of trading for. And so, um, so our, our thesis about doing a roll-up is how do we, how do we maximize that? And how do we make this a lot easier for somebody looking to, to sell their business? So, so we're doing a, a bit of a different slant on a, on a merger and it's, um, it's a, it's a decentralized uh, merger. And so, so most conventional mergers, most integrated mergers, they, most of them fail. So they, they fail for a couple of reasons. They fail for, uh, because um, uh, of two things, e- uh, ego and integration. Uh, you know, ego is you got two CEOs trying to run it. You know, we're doing it this way. No, we're doing it this way. And they, they can never figure that out. Uh, the second thing is the is the integration. People spend so much time on on trying to smash two cultures together, and it's very very hard. And so that rarely works out. And so consequently, most mergers actually um, most mergers actually fail. And so I, I was really intrigued by this, and I was um, there wasn't much I was actually intrigued at by school except uh, having a few cocktails and, and having a good time. But uh, but the one thing I was was um, was actually why mergers failed. And so I wrote a uh, I wrote a, a paper on this when I went to Oxford, and and it was um, it was about that. And so it kind of got me thinking, like, well, mergers are really interesting because in a merger, like one point plus one doesn't equal two; it equals like four or five. But how come most of them fail? Because these are good economics. And so the thinking that's kind of come from this is. Um, and knowing that they all fail because of you know integration and ego, and so the what's the, the elegantly simple solution is just don't do that stuff. And so so what we're doing and our approach to this is a virtual merger. It's a non-integrated merger. So what we're looking to do is we are looking to uh, to lock arms with other digital agencies that are. Um, that are, are not looking to sell today, but they want to maximize their their end result, you know, in kind of you know eighteen to twenty four months down the road. So we're looking for um, we're looking for complementary uh, digital agencies globally that um, that fall within the auspice of of kind of you know sort of three things. So we're looking for companies that either do content production, we're looking for companies that do data, or companies that do sort of um, programmatic um, marketing. They're able to kind of push the message out. If you've got those three legs of a stool, uh, that becomes a very compelling ecosystem for somebody to eventually buy. And so we're looking for companies that fall within either of those three brackets. And so what we're looking, what we're doing is we are we are locking arms with each of the companies. So we are not taking equity stakes in your business. We are not telling somebody what to do. We're not. This is not a dictatorial regime. Everybody is a standalone, independent business. For all intents and purposes, nothing changes on day two. You just, if you're part of the collective, 
you just continue to operate. And so Quadra Capital becomes the plug and play advisory board to the group. So while you're inside the group, there's a lot of, it's an open book and there's a lot of cross sharing and cross synergies. You know, if you've got a company in New York, that's, you know, with a company in London, for example, you can share clients and there's, there's organic growth that can just happen there naturally. And so so we become the plug and play advisory board. We've got about 150 years of collective experience kind of offering up just kind of, you know, legal advice and tax advice and various things just to kind of, you know, help you. How, how can we help you is kind of our, our, our tagline, I guess. And so um, we want to get you into the right shape to be sold. And so, uh, so what we do is we kind of fatten the, uh, the pig, if you will, over the next uh, sort of year. And we just keep merging uh, more companies that are complementary into this group. And then what we're going to do is we're going to position it for exit. And so what we've, what we've created then, and let's say we, you know, we get five, 10, 15 companies and we, we go past that sort of um, glass ceiling of, of sort of 20 million. Once we do that, this becomes very compelling now to an end trade buyer or a larger private equity group to buy. And, and so your, you know, the value of the portfolio then is not worth three times cash flow. It's worth arbitrarily six times cash flow. So if we sell the whole thing as a lot, everybody net nets a much bigger multiple. So instead of going at this by yourself to try to sell for three times capital in a marketplace where there's very few buyers, you can come and join the group and we can sell it as a collective down the road. And so no matter how big or small you are, you're not advantaged or disadvantaged by anyone else in the group. Whatever your EBITDA contribute contribution is to the to the collective, uh, when it gets sold, everybody just gets paid out in accordance to your EBITDA. So if you're a big company or a small company, it doesn't matter. All we're bringing is we are moving the multiple for you. So instead of you selling for three x, coming and joining us as a collective, you should be able to sell for sort of six x. So you'll walk away maximizing uh, your exit. And so we are we are creating scale through this rollup, but we're doing it in a different way. That we're not we're not taking ownership in your business, and we're not um, you know we're not looking to this to be a dictatorial regime, and we're not looking to do all the things that cause normal mergers to collapse, which is you know egos and integration. Where this is um, this is non-integrated, and so um, and so we're aligned with everybody. The one thing I will say, if you go out to sell your business, and I don't know, maybe some of you have, maybe some of you haven't. If you have, you'll know it's a very, very distracting process. There's kind of two parts to a business. There's running your business and there's trying to sell it. And a lot of entrepreneurs, when they go for the sale of selling their business, they take their eye off the ball of the actual business. And then if a sale doesn't go through, it's like their business hasn't done well because they've been so focused just on the sale and they, they take their eye off the, the going concern. And so where we become helpful is you know, we're bearing the brunt of that. We've got quite a bit of experience at uh, doing kind of doing deals and we've got um, so on the front end, we can sort of manage that. And, and obviously we're aligned with everybody because we're taking a piece of the upside. We're taking 20% of the, of the sale of the group. And so it's our, in our best interest to try to cut the best deal that we can, uh, you know, for the collective. And then, um, and then, yeah, so, you know, we, we can bear the brunt of a lot of the things that, so you, so you don't have to take your eye off the business while this thing is, um, is sort of growing. So, so that's what we're doing, and we're you know we're um, we've already got um, uh, you know we've already got uh, a, a group involved, and we've got a pretty big uh, pipeline of, of of companies, and it's going to be a fun story. Instead of sort of struggling to grow, you know, kind of hundred thousand here, hundred thousand there, we're going to grow kind of you know million by million, and uh, and um, and we're going to do it all without having to use any um, 
you know, any, any equity or any dilutive capital and nobody's, nobody's taking ownership of your business and uh, you're, you're not getting diluted through the process. All you're doing is we are going to move the multiple from you selling for 3x. We're going to try to sell the thing for, for, for double that. So, so that's, kind of, um, that's kind of what we're doing for the roll-up and that's kind of the way that we, we see it, which is, um, I think is relatively novel to maybe other things you've heard about in the marketplace. Yeah, brilliant. So thank you for the detail on that. And I think everybody starts to hear about dilution <laughs> quite a lot nowadays. And um, yeah, trying to trying to create a, an environment where you're not getting diluted by somebody putting a load of money in or something. So obviously, there's a few other types of businesses here as well. So what's the biggest sort of barrier to to somebody being able to do that that kind of roll up themselves? Or, or perhaps you could also tell us what other industries that you're doing roll-ups in as well, <laughs> just in case that somebody might fit the bill if they're non-digital. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the only other one that we're doing it is in is just in, is in IT services. So IT services and digital marketing. We've only got two roll-ups going, and uh, and that's it. We really like both uh, industries, and um, they're also highly acquisitive industries. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're doing the roll-ups in, in both IT services globally and and um, and digital digital agencies. So I really like the digital. Sorry, if somebody's interested in doing that them, themselves or something very similar, what are the barriers really for, for a business owner being able to, to do a roll-up or a virtual roll-up? Obviously, you talked about egos being one of the things, but is, would there be anything else? Uh, if somebody tried to go and do this themselves? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a big piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> harder than it looks. You make it look easy, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it comes back to deal flow. So you got to have a pretty good pipeline and stuff. And, you know, we're, we're only looking for companies that are, you know, debt-free, profitable, that obviously are synergistic with the, you know, the other members. So, um, um, yeah, it it's really comes down to, you know, can you develop a, a big pipeline of deal flow? And, you know, I would say it's probably easier to come and join this as opposed to trying to go out and, do, you know, build out your own pipeline. Because that's, again, you, you would take your eye off the ball of running your business to kind of um, implement this. You know, can it be done? Absolutely. Um, it just, you know, it, it, it's a big piece of work to do this. And I think as a firm, we're, we're kind of geared up to do the heavy lifting. And, um, you know, if somebody wanted to join us, they would be able to just reap the rewards of a bigger multiple at exit. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant answer. Just thinking about the simple maths involved in that. So if you wanted to close a deal with 10 companies in it right at the end, you would you'd be speaking to 100 businesses, constantly trying to sort of mollycoddle them in, herding cats, as they say. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> Uh, is anybody got a question they would like to ask? Just pounced on everybody with no warning. Come on, Will. You've always got something, Brian. <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Perry. Good to, good to meet you. Um, nice to meet you, Will. So um, I was interested, the, the idea that most mergers fail, um, particularly, and yet the, the virtual roll-up essentially still maintains that problem that you, you've got... Um, Businesses that you brought together. Now, obviously, I understand the the multiples point. Um, you you can make them more attractive for a trade sale, or maybe you can do other things with them. But that you haven't resolved that issue of merging. The the mergers failed. That you've still got the potential for ego integration. But I'm I just wondering, have you got? Is there something special about this virtual roll up that that does something to address that problem you'd otherwise identified? Um, we are eliminating the problem of, um, of egos and integration because we're not integrating the businesses. So each company is remaining a standalone independent company. You're just part of a collective. You can actually play the card that you want to choose. So I know if you're, um, if you're a small business owner, sometimes it's hard to go and get the really big contracts 
because the big companies don't want to have a small service provider. So you can play the card of, hey, you know, we're just a small, nimble, you know, digital agency. You can also play the card of, hey, we're, you know, we're a global collective that's got, you know, offices in you know, X amount of countries. And, and so it becomes, as a, you know, it becomes a lot easier to go and procure kind of larger contracts. But to your point, so um, you are, you still are autonomous. You still are an independent business. You just happen to be operating um, underneath a, an umbrella that's that's planning to exit. So nobody's telling you what to do. You you know you just continue to run your business as you see fit. If you don't do as well, you don't do as well. If you, if you do really well in the next kind of twenty four months, that only gets amplified by a much bigger multiple that we're going to bring. So it does remove the uh, the integration issue because we're not integrating, and it does remove the ego issue because we're not formally merging. You don't have two CEOs that are trying to figure out how the company is going to be run. You still are running your business. And so, you, have you got some kind of board running the 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 umbrella function, which, which is independent? I mean, that's very specific. I know. No, no, that's okay. Um, yeah. So we've got. Um, I wouldn't call it a formal board because that sounds very corporatey, and we're we're you know there's no uh, we have a no tie policy at our uh, <laughs> at Quadra, and so um, uh, yeah. So we, we are you know Quadra becomes sort of like I said the plug and play advisory board to the group. So we're the, we're the advisory board slash sort of deal maker. So we have a, we have a monthly zoom call with people that are in the group. Everybody meets each other. Everybody collaborates, you know, as an advisory board, we say, look, how can we help everybody? You know, do you have a tax question? Do you have a legal question, capital markets question. It's all transparent. We just are, are kind of here to help each other as a, as a, as a kind of a, a democratic collective. And then, you know, as we grow and when it comes time to go out and um, you know, start to go to market with this, you know, that's kind of what we do best. We've got pretty good inroads to groups that want to buy big packages of stuff. So we would go and, and try to craft that deal. We'll then bring the deal back to the group and say, Hey, you know, here's, here's, here's what we've got. If it's not a good multiple, um, you know, if it's less than kind of five X, we would just say, Hey, do you got, we have an offer of four. Do you want to take it? If, if no, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll keep going. And if we get an offer of 6x, then anything over 5x, uh, we then kind of have the ability just to kind of kind of push the deal over the line. Because what you don't want is you don't want to, you know, nine groups say, or 10 groups, yeah, nine groups say, yeah, let's go for it. And there's one stick in the mud that's holding everybody else back. So as long as we get a strong offer, which is way more than you'd be able to do on your own as an independent business, uh, as long as we get an offer that's north of 5x, then we just have a mechanic just to kind of push the sale through. And so that's, um, but yeah, we're not, it's not a dictatorial board. It's a, it's an advisory board slash PE group. That's going to help, you know, maximize your end multiple. And that's all that matters. And the, the buyer that you see, I mean, obviously you can, you can make the the merger happen and everyone gets there six times or, or what have you, but that person, at some point, someone does have to integrate those businesses, don't they? If an agency group buys it, what, what are they going to do with, you know, five businesses with a, Five yeah. million revenue, but you've given it the problem to someone else essentially by then. Is that right? Um, I wouldn't even see that as as the problem. I, I think that's some of the sizzle that we're we're selling to them is because what most companies do is you know when they merge they, they focus so much on on trying to smash everything together into one ball. So because these are all independently siloed business, when we actually sell that on, uh, this is why some companies would be foaming at the mouth because. On day two, as soon as they bought this collective, they could shut down nine out of the 10 offices and they could you know, do whatever they need to do to optimize the thing. So on day two, 
they're going to be able to squeeze a lot of the orange out of it by optimizing it. And that's what big private equity does best. They love to get their big teams involved to kind of do optimization and all that stuff. We're selling that, which we see as the problem, and they see as the sizzle. And so we're, we're, we're selling that onto them. And this is actually one of the compelling reasons why they'd want to buy it, because we haven't done any of the optimization or integration. Leave that for somebody else. Good. Yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Will. New York, rely on you. Anything else? Anybody else uh, with some questions? Uh, Thomas? You good? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. That's just uh, brilliant things that I'm hearing. So I'm just um, my mind uh, going in loop and trying to, to get my, my own ideas around this uh, rap thing. Okay, processing it all. Okay, brilliant. All right. Okay. Uh, if there's, there's no more questions. Just I, I have one more, if I, can, if I might. <laughs> um, so just going back uh, before you were talking about the virtual roll-up, um, I just wanted, because essentially what you've done there is you've come up, your virtual roll-up idea is a great idea. Um, if I had to pitch that to someone, I would have thought that's probably going to cost me about a million pounds to put that in place. It's a lot of a lot of contracts, a lot of modeling has got to happen. I, I'm just, you know, I'm just guessing that there's some sort of overhead there in, in, in doing what you're doing, and, and it's a lot of skill to do it. Um, what opportunity do you see to, would you, what if you needed to get that kind of finance for that sort of project, is that is that in itself a project which you think you could get attract attract investment from private equity or, or other places? So it's a sort of almost like a kind of seed finance for a bigger for bigger deal. Um, sorry, I, I guess I'm not clear what you mean by attracting finance. So so you're you're in a position to self fund. I'm assuming the actual overhead that you're taking in putting together your virtual agency roll up. I, I'm assuming that that has a large overhead attached to it, you know, just in your intellectual, but your, your time, your legal fees and all the rest of it, you've got to keep 10 agencies spinning for 18 months. And, you know, how, I just had a lot of work, as you say, to do that. Right. Now, so, but, but if you were to try and put a cost against that and raise for that cost. Yeah. So, so um, we charge each company that wants to join, we, ch we charge a, a whopping fee of a, uh, of a thousand pounds per month. And so to be a part of the network and then, uh, and then, and that's just for the admin costs, because that's going to include all the legals. That's going to include, you know, we've got to go out and consolidate all the books and we've got, you know, there's just a little bit of a running cost. We've got to keep the company open and we're charging each company a thousand pounds per month to be part of the group. And then the back end is where we're taking the uh, the bulk of what we're doing, we're not making money, obviously, by um, by charging the companies. We're we're making money on the back end, and we're aligned with you to cut the best deal that we can. Because the better deal we can cut, the better we're going to get paid, and the better you know, the more money you're going to make as well. So I, I get, I'm, I I understand that. If you had to front load that rather than back end it, would you be able to get raise separate funds? If you weren't a private equity person yourself, if you're me, would you be able to get finance for that for that project for overhead? Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, maybe it, it would all come down to structuring. I, you know, po possibly it would, it would, there's, you know, this is, um, it's a hard question to ask because there's a lot of variables to, to give you a concrete answer. It would really depend on what you're thinking about in terms of a structure and what you're going to go and pitch to all of the companies that you're looking to roll up because, uh, yeah, you could yeah, you could raise some, I mean, you could raise some money is the short answer, but, uh, you know, we'd have to sit down with, uh, 
with a whiteboard, I think, to go through this to really um, understand what you're thinking. I think to, to, for me to give you a, uh, yeah, an actual legitimate answer. Yeah, I guess I guess I was interested in what you said earlier, which was that deal flow obviously is the, the important thing here. And that there's the, you're right, there's a lot of money around. There's, if you've actually got targets there that you've gone through this 10 to 1 process and actually now, look, I could, all, it, all we now need is 20 million or 100 million or whatever it is, that there's plenty of people that have got the money to, to, to put in on that. Oh, sure. They're assuming yeah, these absolutely. are good businesses. So actually yeah. the, the challenge here is to get to that position not necessarily, you know, once you're there, yeah, the, the, you'll, you'll get the money. Sure. So it's, it's, how, it's whether you can essentially accelerate that, pro, you can persuade people to accelerate that process yeah. by, by investment. Cor- correct. And so the one, you know, the other thing that we, we think that is sort of elegantly simple about what we're doing and quite effective is that we're not going out to raise money for this because when you go to raise capital, that's another disruptive process. I've got two capital market guys on my team that, that all they do is focus on raising capital. But um, that is that is another exercise that takes a lot of time to be able to go and raise money. We're eliminating the need to do that. So because we're eliminating the integration because we're eliminating the need to raise capital. This is we're focused just on velocity of, of, of building revenue and profitability really fast. And that becomes a, a fun story to tell people at a at a bar after the smoke clears that you know we went from you know zero to 10 million in 10 months. Thank you very much. Without capital. <laughs> How the hell did you do that? <laughs> Brilliant answer. Will 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 keep you on this video chat for the next two hours. Next <laughs> so, um, so thank you very much for uh, coming in today, Perry, and giving us um, your really great insight into what it is that you do. Um, how can everybody find you once uh, this is over? Where Where is your website, your email address? Uh, what's What's the best way of getting hold of you? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, uh, one one last thing I'll say before I, I, I do that is. Um, you know, we're also um, so we're also quite interested if if there's a digital agency that wants to either uh, sell down a minority stake of their business or if they want to sell out completely. Like we are actually quite intrigued to have a conversation around that. Um, it's a really um, interesting time in in kind of the UK uh, sort of tax system. Is that in sort of the in the coming weeks, um, you know, they're going to be changing a lot of the the, the, the tax laws. So if you're an entrepreneur uh, and you're looking to kind of um, you know sort of sell down now, it's probably advantageous for you to take some chips off the table and to be able to take that out using kind of the entrepreneur's relief or um, some effective tax uh, ways to do that. Because in a few weeks, the government is going to be changing that, and they're going to be doing away with a lot of that. So if you were to sell down and de-risk or sell out down the road, you're going to be hit with a much larger tax bill. So I, I just throw this out there. If somebody was looking to take a few chips off the table and you know maybe sell down a, a little piece of their business or whatever, we'd be, we'd be interested in potentially um, having a conversation. But uh, yeah, I just leave that uh, for you guys to ponder. But uh, yeah, how do you get in touch? So um, you know, Davide is a, a colleague of mine uh, who's here on the, uh, on the line. Uh, you can reach him at... Um, well, maybe, maybe Andy, do you want to uh, share your details? Yeah, share my details might be easier. But if you if you send a message to info at uh, perryanderson.global, um, that will come our way, and we're happy to uh, to get back in touch. Yeah, so info info at perryanderson.global, and um, yeah, love to. Uh, and I'll put that up in the LinkedIn and the Facebook group uh, yeah, as well, so everybody can click on it rather than type it incorrectly. 
All right, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time today, Perry. I think everybody appreciates that. A few smiles on people's faces. My pleasure. Either perplexed or happy with the fantasies that are going on now. Um, okay, brilliant. I hope the latter. All right, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, and I'll uh, see everybody next week. Uh, video will be available. I'm sure, everybody appreciates Perry's time today. Thanks, Perry. Thanks, Andy. Yes, no problem, Will. Good one. Pleasure, everybody. Okay. Thanks for your time. <laughs>